0: Everyone, This is Gary Bean welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the now episode number 49. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community and towards this end has two websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. That panel consists of Jim McCarty, Austin Bridges, and myself. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions from spiritual seekers that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. The replies that we offer are not final or authoritative. Instead, they're subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We always ask each who listens to exercise their own discernment and listen for their own resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our Humble Podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at org or go to llresearchorg slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Gary, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast in the now. Uh, Austin and Jim, and Jim and Austin, are you there?
1: We are.
2: I am here. Uh, I guess, uh, preface for the show, we're trying some new recording technology today, so pardon our audio dust if uh, anything seems off that through
0: the quirks of the space-time continuum will only appear in episode 49, not 50 because 50 was recorded on the other stuff, but then may reappear on 51. (laughs) There's some really strange time travel stuff going on at LL Research. We can't disclose it all, but just trust us, it's happening. Our first question comes uh, from an old friend and listener of ours. Uh, if you were familiar with the previous incarnations of this show, um, there was a caller in Utah who would call in when we did live shows and ask us questions and have a conversation with us. And um, He's still with us, and that is JP. And he uh, writes via email, Many thanks to Jim to exposing us to Dr. Michael Newton. I recently heard in an old interview with him where he mentioned that he thought The, quote, powers that be, that is, the benevolent metaphysical hierarchy, have started to loosen the grip on the veil, allowing for easier and deeper access to the unconscious mind. Uh, JP is talking about, Is quoting Michael Newton here. My question is, under Ra's teachings, is this possible? Or what might account for the freeing up of more flow that seems to be happening? I would love to hear what you guys think about this idea of his. Well, Jim, since you're responsible for seeding Michael Newton in J.P.'s mind, how about we start with you?
1: Okay, just as a little uh, side note to start with, uh, Dr. Newton himself has passed into larger life as of about a month ago. Mm-hmm. So now he knows a whole lot more than he ever did when t- he was talking to his clients. So mm-hmm. he could probably answer this question much better than we could. But um, I've thought about this some before, about uh, how it's probably not the case that the veil itself is thinning but it's that there are more seekers that are more able to penetrate it through various means of uh, meditation or dreams or contemplation, Um, special exercises for uh, going deeper into the subconscious mind. But uh, I've also noticed that he's not the only one of the uh, regressive uh, hypnotists that think that. I've started reading uh, Dolores Cannon recently, and she has another approach to uh, the topic of... um, Entities that she calls volunteers, but which are actually wanderers, which neither uh, Dr. Newton or Dr. Weiss or Rob Schwartz seem to deal with specifically. So I was interested in what she had to say. And in her work, she says that she talks mostly to the higher self or the subconscious mind of her clients. And she attempts to get them into the very deepest state possible. She uh, feels that she gets them into deeper states than anybody else. I guess there's a sweepstakes going on as whose clients are in the deepest state. But she feels like she gets hers... In a very deep state. And she's been doing this. Well, she passed on too, by the way. So, um, she was doing it 40 years before she passed away. She had a lot of experience. And she said that both the higher selves of every client she talked to and the subconscious said that the veil indeed was thinning toward the end of the cycle now. And, uh, she didn't really say why it was thinning, but I would like to believe that it was. Um, I would like to see more people be able to penetrate the veil of forgetting and become more aware of the concepts of unity. We need some more understanding in this world these days. We're, uh, we're thinking too much like separate beings and acting too much that way. Um, so I would, I would hope that it is true. So I'm, I'm not really sure. I, those are my thoughts, though.
2: Hopeful. Uh, Austin, what do you think? Um, I think there are several ways to look at J.P.'s question. And the first aspect I'd examine is the idea that he puts forth of the powers that be, or the hierarchy, and um, as J.P. calls it, uh, I think that that's correlated to what Ra would call the uh, Council of Saturn, Um, and whether or not they have direct control over something like this. Uh, From the raw material, Ra tells us that the Council of Saturn makes decisions about how the Confederation may interact with Earth. Uh, But to my knowledge, Ra never really uh, indicates that they have a direct influence over our lives in the sense that they can control the parameters of our reality or our consciousness. And I won't go so far as to say it's not possible, but I don't think that there's any evidence for such in what uh, Ra describes. So, uh, given the idea that the veil is thinning in a sense, um, which I suppose is probably true, there might be a couple of factors involved if it isn't necessarily at the behest of the powers that be. My first inclination is to think it's simply a natural process for the times that we are in uh we're approaching or maybe already in in time space fourth density and this necessitates a shift in our individual and collective consciousness um, Ra describes fourth density as a density where there is no veil and quote the hands of all are open to the eye the thoughts the feelings the troubles all these may be seen end quote Um, They also describe our planet as being in fourth-density time-space right now, but having difficulty manifesting this within our space-time. So there could be sort of a bleed-through from time-space, sort of like a pulling of our space-time towards the fourth-density, and this might manifest as this thinner veil that JP's talking about, um, making it easier for us to access the unconscious mind like... uh, through the works of uh, Michael Newton. And another aspect of this, which I think could be correlated to the first, um, is a cultural shift. And perhaps our culture itself is becoming more conducive to the very idea of exploring the unconscious mind. The soil becoming more fertile for that sort of seeking. Um, that cultural soil itself uh, might be all it takes to make access to the unconscious mind thinner. Uh, an example of this is the very idea of the mind having a polarity of conscious and unconscious, uh, and that wasn't really a part of the understanding of consciousness in the Western world until the work of uh, Freud and uh, even more of Carl Jung, at least. Um, it wasn't really accepted in a widespread sense. Uh, but after reading Jung's autobiography recently, I was really just blown away by how dedicated and masterful he was in attempting to explore and define the unconscious mind. And really, the concept of the unconscious mind, as it's discussed within the Confederation materials, was developed within our culture mostly by Carl Jung throughout his lifetime. I think the, the Confederation relies very heavily on the influence that Jung had on our understanding of consciousness. Um, If he had not introduced these concepts and this uh, language, then uh, it might make discussing such things uh, much more difficult, Um, especially things like hypnotic regression, which Dr. Newton uses. uh, That was pioneered and refined by Freud and Jung in their own practices. So uh, the point being here is that Uh, Jung had a great cultural influence on the very concept of the unconscious mind and our ability to explore and access it. And he died in 1961. This uh, wasn't really that long ago. Um, His influence could be sort of seen as a seed, I guess, which takes a little bit of time to fully flourish, and could be coming into a new type of expression with the modern New Age movements uh, that... I think Dr. Newton's sort of a part of. Um, So to bring it back around to J.P.'s mention of the hierarchy, this cultural aspect is something that maybe could be influenced by the so-called powers-that-be. If we're to accept the idea that they have some sort of say over the wanderers who incarnate on Earth and the way that the Confederation interacts with Earth, uh, and Ra seems to indicate that they do, then they might be allowing wanderers to come through for specific types of purposes such as a revolution of consciousness as offered by jung and other pioneers in this area um, in my mind that's probably the way that this could correlate uh, most to the raw material is that if the confederation is um, sort of indirectly influencing our culture by planting certain types of wanderers with certain ideas and um, uh, objectives in our culture in order to make this exploration of the unconscious mind a more acceptable and widespread thing, and thus simply making the unconscious mind more available uh, in general. Um, that's what I think about JP's question. How about you, Gary?
0: Boy, I'm glad you guys went first on this one. Um, <clears throat> sorry, it's a bit away from the microphone. Uh, I agree completely and really appreciated your thoughts, Austin, about the way in which the Confederation may try to um, influence, would be a word, um, the situation on the ground or bring light to it or open up certain avenues of inquiry and so forth through the function of wanderers incarnating here and hopefully, fingers crossed, remembering their mission and uh, performing a particular service, first and foremost, of course, um, radiating love and light through being alone. Um, it seems highly unlikely, per the law of one material, that um, beings at stages of evolution above our own can tweak the system. I don't think there are any figurative or literal um, metaphysical knobs that, uh, one turns to adjust the opacity of the veil or to increase daylight or, um, decrease darkness or slow the rotation of the earth and, and so forth. I think these, these are structural and part of the parameters that are architecturally designed and put in place by the logos itself. Um, including the veil, i can't recall specific quotes, but now that I think about it, um, I do remember Ra describing the Logos and um, the Logos' ability to choose um, the vividness of the illusion, which would relate directly to um, how thick the veil and strong the veil is. Um, However, like Jim and Austin were saying, I would think that the approach of fourth density may have an effect, On the veil, and uh, that may cause effects within the society itself. And it's really interesting when you look at the very rapid and complex and disorienting, actually, changes that society is going through, and how much those changes more and more resemble the um baby steps you might say at fourth density for instance the way we're becoming in some respects more known to one another through interaction, uh through digital space and online profiles and the way that um information which was previously hidden or uh, out of sight is now becoming more known whether through leaks or through um, just the abundance and availability of information um and uh, the way we're able to communicate with one another so rapidly and so forth. And one can ask, is that uh, a function, uh, a natural organic growth of the society and a function of the um, mix of technology and beliefs and innovation and so forth? Or does 4th density have a part in that? And we actually explored um, similar questions, I think, in episode 9 and 39, in terms of what effect fourth density may have on third um, and otherwise, I think I think that that wraps it up for me. Do you guys have any other further thoughts?
1: Um, one other thought. Um, back in 1981, Ra mentioned that there had been, I believe it was about 15,000 entities uh, allowed to incarnate here early who would be making this their fourth density planet. And that they had uh, doubly activated bodies. They had both the third and fourth density bodies activated. And I'm thinking that in the succeeding years, the 36 years that have passed since that time, that figure has probably grown a great deal. And I would imagine that they are also able to access their subconscious mind and penetrate the veil more um, effectively than the normal third density entity. And then... um, A number of people in the field of uh, the New Age, I guess, are talking about, have been for years, about how we ourselves are changing our DNA. Everybody is changing the DNA because of the increased vibratory energy coming our way from the cosmos. That just like the uh, striking of the clock upon the hour, there's a certain time, and we're now in it, where the energies are more available to the planet. So if that's true, then there might be more ability on the part of each individual to penetrate the veil of forgetting. Uh, even uh, read, reading in uh, Charles Eisenstein's uh, book recently that the um, various sorts of uh, life forms on the planet are also able to change their DNA structure and behave in a slightly different fashion. I'm thinking that maybe this is something that's going on all over the planet with all life forms, and even things that we don't usually think of as being alive. So, that's just another little angle that popped in my mind while you all were talking, Gary.
0: Um, you know, it's interesting you, uh, reference the dual activated bodies because that then brought to my mind, and I'm looking on my phone for it right now, uh, I don't think I'm going to find it, where Ra says specifically about that group that, um, one advantage of them being able to be here at this time is that they may begin fourth density work while here, while incarnate, while at the end of third density. So, um, then again, or that may, be yet another way um, in which fourth density is having an effect upon our present experience, and maybe even leading to the thinning of the veil in some ways.
2: Is that it for all of us? Uh, I think that's all for me.
0: All right. <clears throat> our next question comes from Charon, with uh, two A's. Karen, Via I bring forth writes, I want to know if I'm wasting my time trying to create an environment in my mind-body-spirit complex where my, quote, negative friends are being assisted to ascend if they insist on offering their assistance. When requesting that negative friends be bathed in light and help to ascend to a more unified perspective, does that have the effect of influencing their conscious progression in the same way that their offers influence ours? Another way of asking the question would be, is it possible to bring them along for the ride by gifting a more unified perspective to them against their will, without it being a loss in polarization for oneself, given that it is their choice to be there offering their, quote, service? So can the higher self be summoned and embodied at a time that the other side are making an offer in an attempt to influence the distorted aspects of self to realign with oneness through conveying unwanted glimpses at unity? Uh, Austin, what do you got?
2: Well, I think that um, one of the primary things to consider with a question like this is the idea of uh, intention of your actions. I think that there is a significant uh, yet subtle difference between the concept of offering love and acceptance to those who greet us from the negative path because you actually love and accept them versus offering them love and acceptance with some sort of additional motive. Uh, Charon used the term against their will and asked if attempting to offer an experience of love to these entities against their will would be a loss of polarization. And I think that in most cases like this, if you are knowingly attempting to change someone or force them to experience something against their will, then it would result in a loss of polarization. The idea of loving and accepting the other entity is that you love and accept them as they are, and not because you think you have a chance to change who they are by loving and accepting them. Um... I think it's similar in the concept of things like uh, thanking the entity for the experience. There's a difference from simply being genuinely grateful for an experience which offers uh, opportunity for more self-knowledge than offering your thanks to an entity in a sort of sarcastic way, which intentionally subverts their intentions. Sort of like saying, uh, ha ha, you tried to knock me down, but you only made me more loving, you dummy. (laughs) So the the intentions play a subtle role in this dynamic. Um, Now say that you are genuinely offering love and acceptance without this ulterior motive of hoping to change them. Uh, could this experience help them to realign their own perspective? I think that's a, a good question. Um, in the Law of One, when Ra talks about a negative entity greeting the group that was channeling Ra, Ra says that, Uh, as the group offered it love and light, that it loses polarity and needs to regroup. So it seems that the known possible consequence is that in offering this love, you are actually hindering the entity on its chosen path. And again, there's no intention of hindering the entity. It's simply a natural result of you keeping an open heart towards the entity. Uh, You don't wish for it to be hindered. You just accept it as it is, and that in itself is damaging. Um, but in pure speculation, there's no real basis in the law of one for this idea, I don't think. I suppose that it's possible that if a less clever entity with a uh, less power of will than the one that greeted the raw group, uh, an entity like that might be fully swayed by such an acceptance and love from an individual, um, maybe it's possible that the entity will not be wise enough to regroup and instead sit in the influence of that person's love until they start to get this idea that um, this whole love thing maybe isn't such a bad deal after all. Um, I don't think it's out of the question. I think that it uh, depends on your intentions, though. And uh, if you have that as a goal, to sort of convert them to your path then it probably wouldn't work, because it would not be a genuine love and acceptance. And in fact, I think that if you offer the entity love as an attempt to control it on its path, um, having the desire to have it change its path, and then attempting to manifest that desire, I think, is a form of control, then uh, doing so might actually be losing uh, your own polarity, due to the sort of disingenuous nature of your acceptance and then that entity might actually uh gain polarity for having successfully knocked you off the path and uh, sort of corrupted your intentions. Uh-oh. So um in doing it exactly as Caron says, with this uh, desire to change them, then it might actually be counterproductive in that sense. Uh, so those are my thoughts. Back to you, Gary. Thank you very much. Jim, what have you got for Charon?
1: Well, Don spent most of Session 67 trying to do the same basic thing, trying to be of more service to our friend of negative polarity. As long as the friend would not be so liable to Carla to be um, losing her balance or being dizzy or so forth. I don't know if Don was trying to make a trade or what. So Ross spent most of the session trying to let Don know that that really wasn't possible because the negative entity perceived things in a different sense than we did. And uh, so after a number of uh, reasonings with Don that uh, were trying to let him know that wasn't possible, Don then says... Well, then, there's no other service that we can at this time offer. That fifth density entity of the Orion group he is so constantly with us. As I see it now, there's nothing that we can do for him from your point of view. Is this correct? I am Rob. This is correct. There is great humor in your attempt to be a polarized service to the opposite polarity. There is a natural difficulty in doing so, since what you consider service is considered by this entity non-service. As you send this entity love and light, wish it, wish it well, it loses its polarity and needs to regroup. Thus, it would not consider your service as such. On the other hand, if you allowed it to be of service by removing this instrument from your midst, you might perhaps perceive this as not being of service. You have here a balanced and polarized view of the Creator, two services offered, mutually rejected, and in a state of equilibrium, in which the free will of each is preserved and allowed to go upon its path of experiencing the one infinite Creator. That was 67.26. So, um, no, it doesn't seem like it works that way. They... They don't look at things the way we do. I I don't think we could really uh, depolarize much from our polarity if we were trying to, like uh, Charon says, to bring them along, because there's really no chance of that. Um, They're way too wise. They have a wider point of view than we do, and they have far more power. They just kind of chuckle and leave and think, well, I'll be back later.
0: (laughs) Gary, what do you think? I think you guys hit all the nails on the heads there. I have um, little to add to that. I had uh, 67.26 and .27 quoted here that I was going to read. But um, Austin touched on 2.6 and then uh, you read the whole quote, Jim. And I think, um, I can add a couple of sentences from 67.27. Ross says, you need in our humble opinion to look at the humor of the situation and relinquish your desire to serve where no service is requested. The magnet will attract or repel glory in the strength of your polarization and allow others of opposite polarity to similarly do so. Um, and, and I think it's the crux of it is, uh, just as also was saying, you know, if you, um, It is of service to others' nature to offer all other selves love and light because you genuinely feel love and light for them, because you genuinely recognize the underlying unity between you and them, that you are one, that the other self is the creator. But if you're offering love and light in order to convert, um, then you're, you know, you're flirting with moving into the realm of control. And, uh, you know, that is, that is a not, quite service to self but um and it's not always so black and white and um as Austin was saying it comes down to your intentions i think that's what's most important and so in the scenario you described i would say such intentions are um though how do i say though they seem good-hearted because you want to give the other this other negative fellow a a positive experience, I think they may begin to stray into service of self-territory and wanting some kind of conversion or an experience which they would not wish to give a service which they would consider non-service. So, you guys have any more thoughts for Karen? Not I.
2: Right. No, I don't think so. All right. Uh, Austin, where are we in our time? Um, We're a little short, but I think that it is close enough to say this is a full episode. All right, yeah, the next one is pretty big.
0: All right, Jim, did you want to um, say anything to the listeners? Yeah, we're in a new year now.
1: So um, I want to refresh our love offering to you. It may have gotten a little smaller over the holidays. We love you guys a whole lot. We thank you so much for sending your questions in, for listening to the program, and for sending love back to us. You are treasures. Thank you so much. Have a great week. We'll see you in two.
0: You've been listening to LL Researchers weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to those who submitted questions. If, you, if you'd like to send us a question before the next show, please read the instructions on our page at llresearch.org slash podcast. New episodes are published to the Archive website every other Wednesday around uh, 1 p.m. Eastern. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk with you next time.